0: In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is speaking, and here's what he says. He says, students are not greater than their teacher. But the student who is fully trained will become like the teacher. In this verse, he lays out what a disciple looks like. You see, a disciple is a learner or a student. So Jesus is saying, you who who have been with me, you've been learning from me. You've been learning under me. I've been the teacher. You've been the student, growing to become more like Jesus. That's the goal. If anyone calls themselves a Christ follower, the goal, the end result is so that all of our lives, all that we do, all that we say, reflects Jesus we want to become like Jesus, but the question is, how do you do that? You see, I've heard it said that if you, if you have a, 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 now I'm messing up the quote here. Maybe I haven't heard it said that way. Hold on a second. Let me think about this. <laughs> Pretend I didn't say that. I can't remember. I have the browns on my mind. I am very, very sorry. <laughs> Anyways, here's what we're doing today. Uh, <laughs> we are in a new message series called Simple. And to accomplish becoming like Christ are some areas or environments that we call uh, the row, the circle, the chair, and go. And we say these phrases a lot from stage, but we wanna teach on these these next four weeks to understand how do we become better students, better learners, how do we become more like Christ? One of my friends, uh, he works at a discipleship ministry in Southern Ohio, and he sent uh, Pastor Todd and I a shirt And it said on the front, it says, discipleship. Yes, bless you. It says discipleship. It's simple, and it's really hard. And I really like that because, honestly, it is simple. Jesus lays out the different environments for us to become like him. He doesn't hide that behind some um, words or some religious talk. He literally lays out how to become like him. But it's hard because that demands all of us. Every part of us submitted to God's leadership in our lives. And so we want to show you as we interact with these four environments how we can become like Christ in all that we do. So we we have the row. It's what you're sitting in today. It's what Jesus often taught in either in the temple or he would be teaching from a boat or on a mountainside. He was teaching just like this. The chair is what we spend our individual time together as we are looking at scripture and praying. That's what Pastor Charles is gonna be teaching over these next couple of weeks, the row and the chair and the significance of that. Pastor Todd's gonna to teach on the circle and how we believe we grow best together. It's why Jesus has a circle of 12. It's the reason why in Acts, the church was really big, but it also had to be really small. And so we wanna look at that environment together as well. But today, we're going to look at what we call go. Because you can come to church, you can be in a circle, you can spend time with God in the chair, but if you don't do anything with your faith, your faith means nothing. It's like a sponge, right? You buy a sponge to wash dishes, but if you fill it, bless you, if you fill it with water, constantly and you don't wring it out it doesn't have it loses its purpose so what if the, the sponge is full of water You can't do anything with you got to wring it out and then you can use it so it is with being a follower of jesus you can come here and and have all of these uh, teaching opportunities and circle opportunities and chair opportunities but if you don't wring it out into the world it means nothing And one of the greatest examples I've ever heard about what it looks like to go in our lives is about a woman named Linda Wilson. Linda Wilson Allen is her full name and she is a bus driver in San Francisco. Now, being a bus driver, obviously, you are incurring a lot of issues, Uh, irritable passengers probably being one of them. They don't really want to talk. A lot of times, people have their headphones on. They're running late. They want to get to work, want to get to the grocery store, want to get to wherever they have to go. Oftentimes, you have a breakdown maybe in your bus. There's issues along the way, traffic jams. Can you imagine the traffic jams in California compared to Norwalk? I mean, I couldn't imagine that. Navigating that in these busy roads as a bus driver, it would be a really... Really hard, frustrating job. But see, that's what's different for Linda. Linda doesn't look at being a bus driver as a job. She She looks at it as a calling. You see, Linda knows the names of her regular commuters. So when they walk onto the bus, maybe they've had a bad day. Instead of just interacting with the bus driver, they're interacting with a friend who knows their name, who asks how they're doing. What's great about Linda is if Linda knows one of her regulars is running late, she will wait for them. Usually the bus, it has to be at certain times and certain pickups, but she's okay with being a little bit late and she'll make up the rest of that uh, late time later in her route because she values her regulars. There's a story about Linda's interaction with Ivy that really caught my attention. Ivy was about to get on the bus, and she was an 80-year-old woman who had tons of bags of groceries. And Linda put the bus in park, got off the bus, went down the steps, took those groceries from Ivy so she wouldn't have to carry those up the steps. Ivy sat down. Linda put her groceries next to her. And what happened in that moment is that now Linda has another regular customer because Ivy would wait for that bus so she can ride with Linda but you know what else is incredible once a month after Linda's shift she would take Ivy grocery shopping and they became like a daughter and a mother who was once a bus driver and a commuter I'm thinking of Linda's friend Tanya you see Tanya moved to California didn't know anybody Linda pulls up, doesn't recognize Tanya. She gets on the bus and she asks Tanya about her life. And Tanya explained that she didn't know anybody and Linda asked her to come to her house for Thanksgiving. Can you imagine that? Going somewhere, not knowing anybody, and your bus driver invites you over to their home for Thanksgiving? Tanya and Linda are friends now and they hang out outside of their regular interaction. You see, there was this guy who was a regular commuter on Linda's bus and wrote for the San Francisco Chronicle and fell so in love with her and saw the impact that she was having on everyday commuters who rode her bus that he wrote an article in the San Francisco uh, Francisco Chronicle. Now, here's the cool thing. As he's getting to know her and writing this article, he says this about her life. Her mood is set at 2.30 a.m. when she gets down on her knees to pray for 30 minutes, the Chronicle states. And Linda said, there's a lot to talk about with the Lord, says Wilson Allen, a member of Glad Tidings Church in Hayward. Now, I don't know if the writer's a Christ follower. I don't know if he knew that she was a Christ follower, but you know what doesn't matter? It doesn't matter if they knew that about each other. What matters is she is living out her calling in life. She is impacting people as a bus driver. And the greatest thing is she doesn't look at her job like a bus driver. She looks at her job as a Christ follower disguised as a bus driver to impact people's lives, to go into the world to be Christ's hands and feet. She used her platform as a bus driver to impact people's lives for eternity. These people fell in love with her in such a way that some of the people who rode the bus were wealthy and took uh, their vacation homes and offered Linda the bus driver a week in it. Because she learned their names, because she cared. And underneath of it all is because she loved Jesus and she wanted God to wring her out into the world and she made an impact. You see, it reminds me of one of the most beautiful scenes in Scripture Isaiah chapter 6. We have this beautiful scene of heaven opening up and you see God in all of his glory. And a lot of times when we look at God, we look at him as our buddy, our BFF, our friend, and he is that, but he's so much more. He is so holy that right now, the angels, there are angels who are designed to go around the throne of God, just continuing to say holy, 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 because they can't get enough of him and his holiness. And as Isaiah looks up and sees God on his throne, he realizes this holy God is perfect and Isaiah is not. And he needs God to do something for him so that he can even stand before God. So God makes him holy. Not because he's perfect, it's because he's not. But God is perfect and shows him grace. So Isaiah can stand before him. And Isaiah, his life is changed. When you interact with the gracious, holy God, your life will never be the same. And Isaiah's wasn't. And so God, he asks this question in verse eight. He says, then I heard the Lord asking, whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us Isaiah heard God say, okay, my people, the Israelites, they need to hear from me. Who will go to them and walk through the open doors that I've given them to tell people about this gracious God? You know, oftentimes when you've ever been in school and the teacher asks about something, you're praying that the teacher doesn't ask you (laughs) Or other people are raising your hand. Now, I imagine, you know, could Isaiah would have been like, okay, who shall we send? And Isaiah's looking around like, what about this guy? This person looks really good. Why not send them? But well, you see, Isaiah doesn't say that. Isaiah hears God's calling and he says this, here I am, send me. He recognizes that the question That God asks was a personal question to Isaiah. And Isaiah, realizing who he is, needed to go to his people and tell them about the life change that he had. And about this gracious God who is pursuing them, even though they keep turning their backs on God. And what I love about that is I see Linda, the bus driver, getting up 30 minutes before her shift. And God asks the question, who will go? And Linda says, I'm going to go. Send me, God. And as a bus driver in San Francisco, she is impacting lives for Christ. She's wringing herself out. Isaiah sees his people in need. And when God asks the question, who will go? He doesn't look around and point to other people. He says, I need to go. Send me. God is asking the same question this morning. He's asking the question, Who will go to your family? Who will go to your coworkers? Who will go to your friends? Who will go to this church? Who will go through the opportunities that I am giving them to represent me? I pray by the end of our time together, you will also raise your hand and say, I will go, send me. Because all of us are being called to go. I love how the book of Revelation sums up what it looks like to go in our everyday lives. It's not that hard. It's actually simple. Here's what Jesus writes to the church of Philadelphia in Revelation chapter 3. He says, write this letter to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. This is the message from the one who is holy and true. The one who has the key of David. What he opens, no one can close. And what he closes, no one can open. He says, I know all things you do. And I have opened a door for you that no one can close. You have little strength, yet you obeyed my word. And did not deny me. I love the phrase open door. A door that God has kicked open himself. That no human can open. But God himself opens. And no human can close. And what's great about this term open door in Revelation. The writer means it twofold. The first is it's a vertical relationship with God. That the door is always open. That God will never close the door of fellowship to you if you are a Christ follower. Anyone in here make mistakes? Okay, two of you. All right, well, <laughs> just close the doors. <laughs> to those who do, I'll tell you, I, I sit with you this morning. I, as I was going to bed last night, I just was reviewing my day and How many times I blew it with my wife, with my kids, with my thoughts, with my words, with my actions. Things I wish I didn't say, I said. The things I probably should have said, I didn't. And you know what? I'm reflecting on Revelation chapter 3 verse 7. that God says, Eric, I know I probably should close the door to you based upon what you've done. But because of what Jesus has done for you, no one, not even you and all of your mistakes and all of your sin and all of your past and all of your struggles can close that door. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what your past is or what your current status is or what your future looks like. If you have said yes to Jesus, he's kicked the door open through the cross. That's why Pastor Mark said we have hope. A hope that God says, I will receive you. Even when you're a good boy or a good girl, I'll receive you. And even when you're doing horrible things, I will receive you because you are mine. An open door policy when it comes to our Lord Jesus. But that doesn't stop just vertically. God, who has changed us wants us to go through open doors so other people can be changed as well. That's why Paul, Jesus says, I've opened doors for you. He, he's thinking back of what Paul has said. Every time Paul is either with a church or he's speaking to outsiders, he has said in different ways, I've opened doors for you, walk through them. Our responsibility as Christ followers is to walk through the doors that God has given us. God has done the hard things of opening the doors. Now we must do the hard thing of walking through it. I love what John Ortberg says in all the places to go, How Will You Know? A title that's off of a Dr. Seuss book. And he describes what an open door looks like. An open door is a beginning, an opportunity, but it has no guaranteed ending. And feeling ready, that's overrated. God, he's looking for obedience. You see, there's oftentimes when God has an open door, and you may recognize it. You may say, I I can't do that. I I don't know what the outcome is. If you are those kind of people in this room that you don't like to take risks, you like to know the ending, an open door can look scary because you don't know what's on the other side. And if you are here today and you're fearful or you're scared or you're worried or you don't know what people will think of you or what it will cost you or what God will ask you to do, and yet you see the open door, it's okay. It's okay to feel that way. In fact, God knows we'll probably feel that way. Here's how I know that. Go back to Revelation 3 verse 8 again. Look at the end of it. It says, you have little strength or little faith. However, you obeyed me. You obeyed my word. You didn't deny me. Tim Keller says it be- says it best. I won't mess up this quote. I hope not. <laughs> It's not the strength of your faith. It's the object of your faith that matters. That's why God describes faith in the Gospels as a small mustard seed. It takes a little itty-bitty faith. You may have a lot of doubts, but itty-bitty faith, and God will take it, so long as you and I walk through the doors. Our faith means nothing if we get it from the row, and we get it from the chair, and we get it from the circle. And yet we stand here, and we see the open door, and we just stand here and wait God takes our little faith. He kicked the door open and he wants to push you through it and he will take care of the rest. If he gives you the beginning, surely he'll be with you in the end. Maybe hard, maybe scary, but God's good with that. He'll be with you. And so what then, if that's the case, what are the open doors in our lives? God has some for you right now. And I wanna look at three of them. Three open door opportunities with others that God is asking us to walk through. And the first is this. Go through the open door of joining the Dream Team. If you were with our volunteer kickoff this past weekend, you you know what I'm talking about here. And I'm sorry, I'm about to give a sports reference. That's how my mind works. I apologize to my wife often because of that. Yes, I'm thinking about the Browns today. Go Browns. I just had to get that in there in the sermon. So that's where it was. So there you go. Joining the Dream Team. 1992, Sports Illustrated came out with this picture. If you're familiar with basketball, you know the legends that are on this cover. You have Barkley and Ewing and Malone and Magic Johnson and that that guy down there, I think his name's Michael Jordan. I don't know if you've heard of him or not. He's a really good basketball player. These five are a part of the greatest team ever assembled. For the first time in Olympic history in 1992, NBA All-Stars joined together to go out and try to win the gold medal for the United States, and they dominated on the court brought home the gold medal, and the greatest team in history is now called the dream team. I want to tell you about a cuss word that I want us to stop using. I know which ones you're thinking. Three letters, four letters, five letters. It's a little longer than that. It starts with a V, volunteer. I hate that word. Because a volunteer, when we use it, it feels like a word that's kind of less than. I'm just a volunteer. I hear that all the time at the chapel. Well, I'm just a volunteer. No, you're not just a volunteer. You are a part of what we call now at the chapel, the dream team. We don't talk about volunteers anymore. Because when I look around, I see the best of the best assembled on the court who are now called the dream team who does incredible things for God. You know, one of the privileges of being a pastor at the chapel is I oftentimes get recognized in the community and people come up to me and say, I love your church. And I always say two things. One, I really love it too. And the second thing I always say is thank you so much. And when I'm saying those two things, thank you and I love it too, I'm not thinking about the worship, though I really, really like it. I'm not thinking about the messages. I'm not thinking about the programs. I'm not thinking about the building. I'm thinking about the people, The dream team, those who serve throughout the week, those who serve on a Sunday, those who do things behind the scenes, those who do things on a stage, those who hand out bulletins and make sure we're secure and knit things together and pray for us and keep the building looking great. All of these different things that you do to make up our dream team. Another thing we need to start getting rid of And our language in the church is, that's okay, that's why we have pastors and staff. Yeah, we do. We have have an incredible staff and incredible pastors. But we have three campuses. We almost have 3,000 people coming at all three campuses. This campus alone, almost 1,000 people come on a weekend. Kids, students, adults. Here's the hard part. When you have a lot of people that creates a lot of opportunities, and oftentimes those opportunities aren't always filled. We see people on the court playing, and we be, we're okay with being on the sidelines. There is an open door, an opportunity, where God is asking you to go through, because the greatest part about you is there's no other you. Your gifts, your abilities, your passions, your personality, you are unique and if we don't have you on the dream team, we are missing a vital part of the team. That's why Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, and then later in 27, he puts it this way. Well, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. Well, so it is with the body of Christ. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Some of us in this room, We know the aches and pains of life, especially in our bodies. Some of us are missing parts. Some of us have parts we wish a surgeon can just fix, and magically the pain goes away, but we all know that's not always possible. And If you've been at the chapel for a while, you know I have back issues, I've had back surgery, and when my back feels good, I can do anything. When my back doesn't feel good, I feel like I am limited in a lot of things that I do. How often I take for granted a healthy body When all of its parts are there and whole and present and doing its thing. Both the parts I can see and the parts I can't see. Because I'm functioning at the greatest capacity. But when something's hurting or something's missing, we walk with a limp. The same is true with the dream team. We may have a lot of point guards, but we're missing centers. We may have a lot of power forwards, but we're missing shooting guards. We may have a quarterback, but who's he going to throw it to? We may have a pitcher, but who's going to bat? We have so many open positions, some that look filled, but oftentimes it's not. Every single person, each of you, not 99% of you, each of you is called to be a part of it. And when you're not... You're missing out. And you may say, you're just trying to recruit volunteers. No, I'm actually trying to tell you about open-door opportunities because God created you to be a sponge, to use your abilities to serve, not just the outside we'll get to in a moment, but the inside. And we miss out because of that. But not only do we miss out, you miss out. Those of you who are volunteers, who you know have, I'm sorry, those of you who are part of the dream team, sorry about my language, those of you who are part of the dream team, you know, what it feels like to be wrung out. Sometimes it's really tiring, isn't it? Sometimes you don't want to always come, but I tell you, when you serve and you get to see God doing amazing things, there's nothing better. That's why Jesus calls us to lay down our lives because he will raise us up when we do so. You miss out when you don't play the game. So would you get your welcome programs out for me? Hopefully you got one. Pastor Mark went through it before. I want you to get your welcome programs out. Usually we have a notes page to write things down. I replace that with an opportunities open door page. In that page, it looks like this. All of these are teams that are missing key players. And when I look up there, I see people who are faithful, who I am so indebted to as a pastor of this church, who serve so well. And I also see people that aren't in the right spots yet that can make a huge difference. You may say, I I don't speak. Well, good, there's things that you don't have to speak with. Like, I could get up here, but if you were to ask me to come to your house and like paint or do something with construction after watching me for five minutes, you'd say, why don't you just go sit down for a while? But for you who are handy, there's a spot on the dream team. There's so many things on here from photography to decor to funerals to being a coffee team lead or a a welcome center lead to be a part of our parking lot, which gets congested and we need people to help with that. So many opportunities. What part will you play? What position will you take? And so, for the next few moments, we're just going to put a little music on. And I want you to do, hopefully, I want you to do one thing and then hopefully the second. I want you just to pray. If you're already serving as part of our dream team, pray for someone else who isn't. If you aren't, pray that God would open up that door for you and you would walk through it. Yeah, you don't know it's on the other side, but God's okay with that. He just needs obedience just to walk, just walk through it. And if you would fill that out and you want to put in our giving boxes this week or bring it back for the next couple of weeks, our staff will be contacting you within two days to set up a first serve. You're not signing in blood, you're just signing in pencil. You can erase it at any time. We just want to find the right position on the right team for you. So let's do that for the next few moments. Father, I love that you give us open doors even inside the walls of the church. Lord, there are people who are part of our dream team now, God, and it is your dream come true to see them serve. And God, you're not going to beg, I'm not going to beg. You just want to give opportunities so we can be at full health, full strength, so we have the best on the court. God, would you show people the open door that you have using their gifts and ability and talents and availability? to serve inside the walls so we can be the body that you're calling us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Hold on to those. You can put them in our giving boxes, bring them back, pray about it whenever you want. We're not done yet, by the way. Sorry. You can leave if you want. I got two more. You're so conditioned to prayer and then going, I still have like four minutes. You know I'm going to use it. So let's keep going. Actually, a little bit more than four, six. So let's keep going. So that's inside the walls. What about outside the walls? Because, again, we could come here, we can take in the message, we can even serve our fellow people, but do you know anybody in your life that doesn't know Jesus? Family, friends, coworkers, people that you interact with on a regular basis, how are they going to know? You think they're just going to walk into church someday? think they're all of a sudden going to be like, you know what, I'm going to read the Bible. Maybe, probably not. How are they going to hear about hope? Well, through you. So let me give you two ways to do that. The first is go through the open doors of your everyday life. I, this is not a game. This is a real question. First hour, half of them raised their hands, and it made me a little scared. So hopefully we get better participation. How many of you are alive and breathing in here? All right. Some of you aren't raising your hands. Are you afraid I'm going to call on you? If you are breathing, which even though you didn't raise your hand, it's all of you congratulations, you still have open doors to walk through. If you're a baby or a big baby, no matter the age, God has opened doors for you in your everyday lives. I remember coming uh, to faith when I was uh, almost a senior in high school, started coming to the chapel at our Sandusky campus. And I remember sometimes we would celebrate uh, missionaries on the stage and I was new to the lingo. I didn't understand what a disciple was. I didn't even know a lot of things, but especially what a missionary was. And I figured out pretty quickly, every time we talked about missionaries, usually they were the people across the ocean who are serving Jesus and bringing Jesus to people that didn't ever hear about him. And I love them. To this day, some of the people that I'm thinking about are some of my own heroes who have left their lives here in comfortable America to go across the ocean to spread the gospel. I love them, but I figured out pretty quickly I got the definition of missionary wrong. See, a missionary isn't defined by location. It's defined by willingness. It's not defined by location. It's defined by the one sending you. It's not defined by location. It's defined by the open-door opportunities. We are called to go through those open-door opportunities of our everyday lives, meaning if you're married in here, guess what? You're sent on mission, sent on mission to be God's presence and love in your marriage. God is sending you to go into your kids' lives and your grandkids' lives, to be his hands and feet, to represent Jesus So that when people have an interaction with us, they should walk away saying, wow, that sure looked a lot like God. We all have opportunities. Many of you will go to work later today or tomorrow. You have an opportunity to go through the doors of those opportunities to tell people about Jesus or at least live it out. You don't have to go and preach, but be that presence I listened to a podcast yesterday. and It's called the Sports Spectrum Podcast, incredible podcast. The host was a producer on Mike and Mike, who isn't Mike and Mike anymore, for 18 years, left it to do this podcast. He was interviewing Jay Harris. If you watch SportsCenter, you know who Jay Harris is, Christ follower. And he said, I just don't go out and preach the gospel. I think that can be intimidating, but I tell you what, I take the opportunities that I have in my everyday life one-on-one so people see who Jesus is one-on-one changes lives if you're Christ. Let your life speak first, and then your words will have meaning when then you use them to tell people about Jesus. Or if you're a coach, I get the privilege of coaching my son's soccer teams, and I always try to do that because I want to be a good influence in my kids and other kids in the community. Yesterday, I was performing a wedding in Wakeman. I was uh, walking out, and this guy walks past me, and he goes, hey, you're my daughter's soccer coach. And I said, yeah, I am. And I walked away and I smiled because he saw me, hopefully, representing God with his daughter, and then he saw me in my job. I don't know if they go to church, but I'm hoping if they do, they'll consider the chapel. Not because I'm a pastor, but because he saw God, his presence through me. What is your open door opportunities in your everyday lives? Take them. Take them. They're meant for you, not for somebody else. Raise your hand and say, God, send me. And the third way, then I'll get you out of here, is go through the open door of the world around you. Let me show you some pictures that should just pump you up. These are some of our student ministry kids right here. They're in our high school ministry. God opened up a door through ACT. Answering the call together to go and be his hands and feet. And they saw a need in the community and they served it. Our next generation. I love showing these pictures to my Norwalk friends because you saw the open door to go through when it came to love Norwalk. So many of our community people who didn't know Jesus, who didn't know the love of God, came somewhere and they got a book bag and they got something to eat. Some of them got haircuts. And overall, they walked away having a different understanding of who God is because you went through the open door to be his hands and feet. Incredible incredible opportunities in the community. I'm thinking about what's coming up at the chapel of we have Warming the Homeless and Operation Christmas Child. We do curbside carryout, three specific ways that people in our community, in our world who are poor and desolate and hungry and needy can receive God's love through us just walking through a door with a shoebox or bags of groceries or whatever it is that God's calling you to do. We have opportunities at the Nehemiah Center in Sandusky and Crossroads Homeless Shelter who there's some open doors we need to send people through. Pastor Jay wanted me to tell you in November we're going to start releasing opportunities to go around the world. Some of you guys got to walk through those open doors to go and be on mission for Christ. Because the greatest thing God has done outside of Jesus is brought the church together for a purpose. See, God could do it all himself, but he wanted us to be in on the fun. And so he gives us open doors every single day in our lives. In the church, in our life, in the community, in the world, the question is, whom shall I send? What will you say? I hope you will say, Lord, here I am. Send me. Let's pray. Father, would you help us identify the open doors inside and outside the walls? When we say no to those opportunities, Lord, you're not mad at us. You're not disappointed at us. But you're longing for us to become more like you. And we miss out on that when we just become a sponge and take it all in. Jesus, you were sent on mission to redeem the world. Now you send us on mission to redeem it as well. Help us to play our part. In Jesus' name, amen.